So today's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 to 13. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, good morning, and I can I add my welcome to Paul's. Um, just one thing, as we're getting started uh, to have a look at this passage, over the past two years, we haven't been able to hand out physical Bibles. Uh, because that was one of the things that we had to take seriously about sort of possible transmission. We can now use Bibles on the shelves. So at the back, uh, there is a shelf with some Bibles, real-life hard Bibles, and there is one just in that alcove there on the balcony. So if that would be helpful to you to actually have a physical copy of the Bible in front of you. Over the last two weeks, uh, I was rereading Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book, and he was making the point that it's actually really helpful to have the Bible in front of us. And it's great that we can have version apps and put it on our phones and tablets, that's brilliant. But there's something about actually having the text in front of us. So if you want to follow the lead of Ewan McCrory, who's just gone and got a Bible from the back, um, just get up from your seat now and go and get a Bible. Or if you want to nudge the person next to you and say, will you get me one too? Uh, that'd be brilliant. So in the balcony as well, if you want to go and get one, it's in that alcove there where the coat hangers are. Um, but it's just about habits. Habits have been changed and disrupted uh, over the last two years. And uh, this is a habit we've got out of as a church of just saying, if you want to get a Bible, go and get a Bible. Um, and uh, hopefully that will be helpful to you. And the subject that we're looking at this morning and throughout the whole of today is perhaps one of the most important subjects that we wrestle with as Christians. We're going through this book of 2 Corinthians, and as I said a few weeks ago, one of the themes, or perhaps the theme, of Paul's letter to this church in Corinth, his second one, is the theme of suffering. I remember 10 or 12 years ago, we had Bishop Michael Bourne come and speak. Uh, he came and preached about, golly, 15, 16 years ago before we did the building refurbishments. And uh, then we invited him back afterwards. And he chose to speak on this topic of 2 Corinthians and suffering. Because aged as he was even then, he's still alive and he's, he's in his late 90s now. 
But even then, he said, I think this is the most important subject that we need to address as Christians in the West in the 21st century. Because one of his concerns for the church in the 21st century is that we have not got or we've lost a theology of suffering. And yet it's one of the most profound things that the Christian faith has to contribute to the world. Other world religions have different attitudes. Islam says you just have to endure it, it's the will of God. Buddhism and Hinduism say, well, it's the, the playing out of the evil or the bad that you've done in previous lives through reincarnation. Humanism says, you just do your best, endure it, be kind to other people, and even to ask the question, what is the point, is pointless. But Christianity has something deeply profound to say about this whole question of suffering. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that in Jesus we have a God who knows what it is to suffer, that you have wept tears, that you have felt pain, that you cried at the graveside of a close friend who died, even though you knew within moments you were about to resuscitate him and bring him back to life, you know what it is to feel betrayed, you know what it is to feel disappointed. You know what it is to feel beaten. You know what it is to feel emotional and physical and even spiritual pain and separation from the people that you love. And wherever we are today in this journey, we ask that we might hear your voice speaking to us and that you might speak deep within our souls so that we might see this particular issue and see ourselves and our world as you see them and as you see us. So, Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before Christmas, as some of you know, I got COVID. Uh, like, I think it's over 4 million people at the moment in the UK uh, have COVID. Um, and I got COVID about 10 days before Christmas and um, couldn't do anything or go anywhere very much. And uh, so I watched a lot of television. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. I mean, box sets were just going through, just Netflix, Amazon Prime, the whole thing. I was just going through all the box sets that I could uh, sort of grab my hands on, because I literally, for about five days, could do nothing else apart from just sit on the settee. The fatigue was that deep. And one of the things, one of the television series that I discovered was one called Afterlife by Ricky Gervais. And it's had a phenomenal uh, run over the past three or four months. Uh, just before the launch of the third series in January on Netflix, it had had over 100 million views worldwide. Now, I need to warn you, it is pretty crude at times, and it can be quite shocking. But it's the story of Tony, played by Ricky Gervais, a man whose wife has died from cancer, and it tells the story of his journey through grief and bereavement. It is at times very funny, very funny. It is at times very crude, very crude, because it's Ricky Gervais. But it is also at times incredibly beautiful, incredibly poignant, 
and deeply, deeply profound and very, very moving. I think I wept at some point in most episodes as I watched Afterlife. Because what Gervais does is speak for millions of people in our society when faced with pain and grief and suffering and bereavement and disappointment. And it's one of the best representations of where lots of people are in our culture and in our society with really having few answers in the face of suffering and pain and even death itself. Following a personal bereavement, Ricky Gervais did go to see a counsellor, and he remembered what they said to him. He recalled, they said something like, grief is like a heavy rucksack. It doesn't get lighter, but you get better at carrying it. Grief is like a heavy rucksack. It doesn't get lighter, but you get better at carrying it. Now, suffering, pain, grief, and death continue to perplex many people. And as Christians, we're not immune from any of it. Now, I, if I'm honest, have not known a lot of suffering in my life. The only real two sadnesses that I've known personally are the death of my parents. But I have been incredibly fortunate throughout my life to, so far, not have to go through a really bad medical diagnosis, I haven't been in a car accident, we haven't had anything traumatic happen to us or to me. If I was a fatalist, I would say touch wood, but that's actually touching a cross that you wear around your neck, so I'm not going to say that. Um, but I haven't actually known a lot of suffering in my life, really, in contrast to lots of people, and probably in contrast perhaps to lots of people here this morning. And we may believe in life after death as Christians, and that perhaps is our greatest contribution and what sustains us through pain and through suffering and through grief and even through death itself. And I would love a coffee one August day with Ricky Gervais, happily have a couple of pints with him to explain why Christians believe in life after death. Um, his, his faith journey is fascinating. Up until the age of 10, he did believe in God. And then one day, his brother in the kitchen simply turned around to him and said, it's all rubbish. And from that moment on, Gervais said he stopped believing in God. It was hardly a thought-through response, a deep intellectual searching. It was just his older brother saying, it's not true. And Ricky Gervais went, yeah, okay. And that was it. But I would love a coffee to sit down with Ricky Gervais and explain the reason for the hope that we have as Christians the difference that it makes to how we view pain and sickness and disease and death and the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But these are big questions, and if you want help thinking through these questions, can I recommend again a book by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering? If you've never read this book, I would heartily commend it to you. Really helpful, goes through different types of suffering, what the different types of suffering are, where they perhaps come from, a theological understanding of suffering, but it's also deeply personal. Keller was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2013 and pancreatic cancer in 2020. But he goes through, as I say, what suffering is and what suffering isn't. 
the fact that there are different types of suffering. So he talks about the suffering that we cause for ourselves by the choices that we make as human beings and the choices that we make as Christians. And the two are not necessarily the same thing. So there's the suffering that we cause ourselves. Secondly, there's the suffering that other people cause for us, and we have to live with their consequences, both individually and collectively. Then there's suffering that comes simply from being human, from being in the world. So somebody whose uh, car was damaged in the storm on Friday, it isn't because they were particularly sinful. It's just that they parked their car under a tree that fell over. God didn't cause the tree to fall on their car because they were nasty the previous day. Again, go back to John chapter 9 when a man who's been born blind is brought to Jesus and the question is posed, who sinned Jesus, this man or his parents? And Jesus looks at the people who are asking the question and in essence says, you're bonkers. That's the Aramaic translation of what Jesus says. And somehow this idea that, that suffering is linked to sin and that if you are ill or if you're sick, that that means that it's a punishment for your sin is a complete nonsense. It was, a, it was very present in the ancient world and somehow it had permeated even Jewish thinking. But it's not biblical and it's not what Jesus said. So the suffering that we cause ourselves, the suffering that we cause for ourselves through our choices, the suffering that we have through being human beings, and then the suffering that comes from being a Christian. But those are at least four or five different types of suffering. So please, when you think about what's happening to you, one of the first questions that you need to ask yourself is, why? There may be no reason why, but what type of suffering is it? And sometimes we attribute to God the cause of a suffering when it's not God, when it's simply the consequences of our own choices or the choices that other people have made either to us or on our behalf. And then Keller goes to explain how God views suffering and that God himself, in the person of Jesus, suffered. And as I said, it's striking that in 2 Corinthians, suffering is perhaps the thing that the Apostle Paul focuses on. The background was that some new people, new teachers, had arrived in Corinth. Paul had had to leave Corinth. He'd had to be smuggled out the back door, literally of the city, because people wanted to get him. Even some of the Christians were pretty critical of Paul, and they'd had to smuggle him out of the back door of the city to escape to the north, to Macedonia. And that's where he's writing this letter from. And these new teachers from a Jewish background had arrived and started to teach this church in Corinth quite a triumphalistic and powerful image of Christian leadership, of Christian ministry, and of discipleship. And basically, they probably started to teach that if you followed Jesus, if you became a Christ follower, then everything in life was going to go swimmingly. 
It was the sort of ancient world equivalent of what's called uh, the health and wealth prosperity gospel. If you believe enough in Jesus, you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. And if you're not healthy and if you're not wealthy, the problem is you because you haven't got enough faith. It's quite handy. It's not the person who's speaking and it's not God. The problem is you because you haven't got enough faith to believe either for more money or to believe for your physical health or wellness. And that's the sort of thing that was being taught in the church in Corinth. Following Jesus meant life would go well, success was guaranteed, blessing was a sign of God's favor. The opposite of that was also true. Suffering, they said, was a sign of sin. God's distance was a sign of God's judgment. And if you felt separated from God, if you felt as though you were being punished by God, if life wasn't going well, then that was because you had sinned. They were still in that mindset of the people who brought the guy born blind to Jesus in John chapter 9. Sickness, things not going well, equals sin and God's judgment. Now, by contrast, Paul starts to speak about himself. And remember that as he addresses this church in Corinth, in the ancient world, they had these four or five different values, which, if we're honest, are not that different from the values that most of our society and culture still hold to today. So they had a belief in rugged individualism, that money bought you influence, that it was perfectly legitimate and quite right to boast about your achievements, that it was perfectly fine and, in fact, it was laudable to compete for recognition, and where you lived indicated not just your income, but it also indicated your value and your worth and your status in society. Ring any bells? Rugged individualism... Money equals influence, boasting about achievements, fine to compete for recognition, and that where you live indicates how important you are. I mean, we've come a long way in 2,000 years, haven't we? We are so different as a culture in uh, 21st century Edinburgh. I think every single one of those would still be true for most of our culture. Paul, by contrast, and in establishing his credentials, focuses on one thing and it's not what they're expecting. He doesn't focus on his achievements. He doesn't go into great length about the churches that he's planted. He doesn't mention his impeccable Jewish lineage or educational qualifications. He does that elsewhere. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. That was the day to get circumcised on, the eighth day after you were born of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, i.e. the best tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law of Pharisee. He does lay out his credentials there, but here he says something completely different. Chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, we're not trying to commend ourselves again to you. But what he then goes into this list is actually a continuation of where he says earlier, please do not receive God's grace in vain. Because you know that you're loved, 
because you know that you're forgiven, because you know that you're accepted, don't let it count for nothing and think that you've got to earn God's love, earn God's acceptance, and earn God's recognition as well as that of other people, which was popular in the culture. But what he focuses on is how he has suffered. Now, in a moment, we'll, we'll go through in the last 10 minutes of my talk what that actually means for Paul and what it means for us. But I'm going to break it up and ask Mike uh, to come and join me up here. Um, and we're going to have a wee chat with Mike um, just to hear what it is actually like for somebody to go through a time of difficulty or pain or suffering in different ways. Now, because most people look at people who preach on platforms and people who are paid to be Christians and say, well, it's okay for you, you're paid to say that. And as I say, I am in the fortunate position at the moment of not really having gone through a great deal of suffering in my life. But Mike, you have-ish. Yeah. In comparison <laughs> with me, you have. Um, well, for folk that don't know you, um, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Mike, Mike Nicholson. Um, I have lived in, back in Edinburgh since 92, from Dalkeith, just south of Edinburgh originally. Um, I am a member here and been so since 92 with my wife, Joy. We got married and started coming here. Uh, we've got two sons, Joe and Theo, who are late teens. And um, I... Work-wise, after a career in the charity sector, I went freelance in 2010, doing a piece of consultancy work for charities, but also with my other hat on, writing children's fiction and doing events in schools and book festivals. So those are my two different bits of work. And you've had four or five books? Flat printed? Catch up, Dave. Oh. <laughs> my kids are older now. Ele I don't 11. 11 yeah. books? 11 books published. Well, now do a quiz on titles and plots. Okay. <laughs> when I said I hadn't suffered much, uh, <laughs> I may suffer now. Yeah. 11 books. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty impressive. So you are... You, you've you're, not seen the sales figures. <laughs> <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, 10 years ago, um, you went through quite a tough time. What, what happened? Um, yeah, well, it was actually 12 years ago initially, um, well, 2009, life normal, uh, boys at that stage were six and four, I guess, and, uh, you know, yeah, life was pretty steady and all the rest, and I uh, had a bit of indigestion, and um, it went on longer than a bit of indigestion normally should, so uh, eventually I went to the doctor, because uh, I'd also thought, what is that? because <laughs> I could feel this sort of tennis ball shape. And um, cut a long story short, um, within a few days, I had a uh, diagnosis of lymphoma, blood cancer, type of blood cancer, and um, they said we need to start you on chemo as soon as possible because this has gone quite far. And, uh, yeah, so that, that started a, well, a crazy year, 2009. Things resolved, treatment went well. Uh, that's when I decided to go freelance. So I thought I want to do the things I want to do. I want to spend more time writing. Um, and I got about 15 months reprieve and then it came back again. And so 2011, a whole raft of treatment which ended in a stem cell transplant. Um, and this is my, well now is my 10 year anniversary from 
um, sort of staggering out of hospital after that and, uh, and recovering, basically. So, um, so, yeah, a few tricky years. Tricky years. Although I have to say, it, it feels sort of odd to sort of map myself against a suffering yeah. heading in some ways. So, but hey ho. I mean, I think a few tricky years is an <laughs> that's a sort of typical Scottish understatement. Yeah. Um, but you, at one stage, you had quite a profound experience of God. Well, tell us about that. Yeah, so that was really, really early on. So this diagnosis came completely out of the blue. <clears throat> I'd gone in for a, some tests in the Western. They, uh, sorry, the Royal, they'd said, bring an overnight bag. We might need to keep you in. Uh, and then five days later, I was still there. They transferred me to the Western on, on this w one evening. And they said, do you want a wheelchair? I'm like, no, I don't want a wheelchair. I'm sort of, you know, I felt pretty good, you know, so I was sort of walking in with my bag, do you want to carry, us to carry your bag? No. So I sort of walked into this ward of four. There were three um, fairly elderly people on it who were clearly very unwell. And um, I genuinely thought, I have like, filled in the wrong forms here. Like, why am I, why am I here? Because I felt, I felt okay, but everyone was telling me, you're really not. Um, and at that point, they said, you know, you might be in hospital for a few weeks. I'm like, I can't be in hospital for a few weeks. I've got, you know, family. And uh, so it was just, it was quite bewildering. That's, that's the best word for it. Um, so that, that evening, yeah, was bewildering. I arrived in this, this little ward. Um, yeah, I got checked in. And I just thought, what is going on? You know, and I... I suppose I sort of, looking back on it now, I, th I think that was where I almost hit the wall of, for the uh, sort of week, 10 days before that, I'd been, you know, so this will be fine, this will be fine. Uh, and I think at that point I thought, this really isn't fine at all. And I thought, what, what can I do? What can I do? And I, I, hadn't, I hadn't prayed at all. I think I'd just, again, just been on the sort of, uh, this will be fine, you know, dealing with it in my own way. Um, and it's, I thought, what can I do? So I, I just put, put my hands out and thought, I, don't, I don't, honestly don't know what I prayed, but I felt, I felt this almost sort of warmth wash through me. Um, and and it's, some of that's hard to rem remember now, but the, the moment isn't hard to remember in that that, that happened, you know, and, and it's been a milestone for me to go back to over the years to, to sort of think that that happened. I felt, I, you know, opened myself up and I felt completely different, very, you know, almost instantly. And that, that wasn't to say that the next days, months, years were easy at all, but um, it sort of gave me a bit of a grounding going into the rest of that, that time. Um, yeah, which again, yeah, gave me a point to come back to. So you, you go through this tricky period, tricky period. <laughs> um, which is quite traumatic as well, because it was quite dramatic in terms it was quite quick and you had, you know, had those mm. few days to sort of come yeah, to terms. Yeah, it was terms shocking. With. I was kind of in a state of shock at that yeah. stage still, I would say. And that 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you have this moment where God meets you, you're filled with peace, mm. and that's a point for you to go back to. Tell us a bit about the last couple of years and, and where, where God has been or hasn't been during the pandemic. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like everyone, life looked very different March 2020 onwards in, in all sorts of ways. So for me, work, work disappeared again overnight, you know, and, I, and I've still not been back in a school. I've been in one school in two years now. So that, that bit of my working life and my sort of identity in a way mm. just, just disappeared. My freelance work disappeared for six months and came, came back again. Um, and in the meantime, I got a part-time job. So I've gone back to being employed. So that, that side of things was uh, very different. Family life, uh, by this stage, I had two boys who were uh, teenagers. We, we'd been hit by the whole exam stuff. Everyone's hit in different ways. Who's got children during the pandemic? For us, it was the exams disappearing quickly going, oh no, how did you do in your prelims? Uh, you know, and then, you know, we're into now a third year of d exams that are different, different than they ought to be. So uh, that, that's all been um, upside down. Um, I got a letter saying you sh you, you're shielding status. I'm like, what? And this is 10 years on from any treatment. So again, in my head, I'm like, I've, I've moved on from that, albeit that, you know, it's sort of shaped a bit of who I am. But yeah, to be sort of almost hauled back into being told you're ill or vulnerable was all a bit bizarre as well. So, so yeah, 2020 was kind of quite rocky and and lots of yeah work work parenting health all again seemed to be up for grabs a bit sorry i've forgotten your question <laughs> many people do um but did you did you find having had that moment 10 11 years ago was god close during this time over the last two years or have you struggled to find god uh I, i've really struggled i've really struggled um what in a way, the experience uh, from being ill, the thing that that gave me a, a grounding in in those early days of the pandemic was I thought, I know what it's like to feel uncertain about things. So, and we had a chat at, mm. you know, a few months in about the certainty of uncertainty. And, and if you can almost accept, well, that's, that's, life is uncertain. And then it actually can de-stress de the situation a bit. So I found the, the memory of you know, being ill and sort of thinking and reaching that understanding that actually you, know, you don't quite know what's happening next was, was actually quite helpful in the early stages of the, the pandemic. But in terms of um, God, I found, yeah, I just found a bit of distance really. And again, the best way I can describe it is for anyone who's spent any time or a few seasons in, in Edinburgh, it's like the har, the har coming down, and you think, what is this? You just, you know, I thought it was a summer's day, and suddenly you're surrounded by sort of mm. cold fog, and uh, I think I think there's been a bit of that for a couple of years for me, where, uh, yeah, I've just struggled to connect and to, um, yeah, connect. <laughs> connect. And when we said last week or two weeks ago that we were going to do. Uh, on Ash Wednesday, mm. um, this sort of moment of lament where we'll, we'll <clears> give <throat> each of us time just to reflect on the last two years and to, to mark something. That, that just sort of prompted something for you. So what, what will you do in that time? Yeah, so when you announced that there was going to be this service and, you know, people could reflect on the, the pandemic and there might be things that they want to sort of bring, bring to that. And... Uh, my immediate thought was, well, I've not. I know so many people have lost lost someone during that time, and that that might be a helpful um, place for them to 
to reflect on that. And my, but my immediate reaction was, I want to come to that and almost lament the, my a sort of loss of faith, but also almost use it as a possible door opening as well. It's almost, you know, it could be a point of reconciliation as well. So that, that was my sort of knee-jerk reaction there when, when you'd said about we'll have a service that, uh, that is an opportunity to lament and to, to think through things. And how, how can we pray for you just now? Um, well, I think f- for me, and I, w- I would sort of say, you know, it's a prayer for anyone who finds himself in the same camp, if you like, that uh, who, f- on a faith-wise, has, over the last couple of years, has just sort of, yeah, felt the horror coming in and, and a distance and a struggle to connect. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's not helped by, obviously, sort of church life being very different. And, um, and it makes me, you know, I sort of think of my, my report card, you know, did I replace church life with, with enough stuff myself, you know, or was I just kind of waiting for the doors to open here again? Or, so, you know, I think for anyone who's, uh, yeah, the prayer would be for anyone to, to continue to push the door and, and look for, for openings. I think having, you know, I'm a, I've been a serial doubter over the years, probably, it's the best way to describe it. And uh, it, it can be a sort of safe place to be in some ways. It's a, it's a dissatisfying place to be, but it can be a safe place to be. And the unsafe thing is to um, go and use a service uh, and lament that fact and look for reconciliation. So. You know, I suppose the prayer is that people take those opportunities and, uh, and make, make the most of them. Mm. Well, thank you for your honesty. And uh, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for Mike. Uh, thank you for him and for Joy and their family. And thank you for his honesty this morning, uh, perhaps articulating what some other people here have, have felt and are even feeling just now. And for all of us who felt as though the ha has come down in our relationship with you because of a change of of habits or um, routine, things that we relied upon to help our faith, and just that sense of, of being uncertain and of you being distant, then we want to pray, Father, for you to reveal yourself again to Mike, but also to many others uh, in this church and in different places across uh, this nation, that as they seek you, they might find you. As they're honest with themselves and honest with you, then they would find you revealing yourself to them. So thank you again for Mike. Thank you for that moment 10, 11 years ago when he just had that overwhelming sense of your presence and peace reassuring him and filling him at that moment of of deep anxiety. But we want to pray, Lord, that you continue to use him and grow him in his relationship with you, but also in the way in which he seeks to use the gifts that you've given to him uh, to help children, but to help families, uh, and just to help those around him. So, Holy Spirit, over these next few weeks, would you reveal yourself to him in a new way? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Let's give him a round of applause, shall we? (laughs) 
And I, I was saying to Mike uh, this week when we were talking through the interview, I would say that in the first three or four months, I experienced exactly what Mike described. It was as though the ha had come down on my relationship with God. That probably shows how much of the routine that I rely upon as being paid to be a Christian. But the routines and the patterns that I had known for 30 years just disappeared. And there was a time, three or four months in, when I remember just sitting on our bed and just weeping. And my wife coming to me in a compassionate pastoral way and saying, pull yourself together. <laughs> and we're going for a walk. It's Iona's birthday. And we're going to go across the fourth road bridge. And I said, but I can't. I don't know what to do. She said, just get, come on, we're going. She's a consultant clinical psychologist, you can tell. And um, we went across the walk across the fourth road bridge and halfway across the fourth road bridge as we went past all the signs for the Samaritans and how to avoid throwing yourself off the bridge which I thought was an interesting place to take me um, she said how are you feeling and I said I'm feeling better and she said see and I went okay <laughs> but I had to do something but I was in exactly the same place where Mike was if you listen to the radio or, or watch the news today, you'll see Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, opening up about his own battle with his own mental health. And that he has these two whole things in tension. A deep sort of loathing of himself when he's going through an episode of depression, and yet holding that intention with the fact that he knows that God loves him and accepts him. And he's the Archbishop of Canterbury, for goodness sake. But what he's seeking to do is simply be honest with himself and honest with people and honest with God that these two things are held in tension and that being a Christian and being a Christian leader and being the Archbishop of Canterbury doesn't mean that you don't suffer and that you don't endure all the other things that the rest of us do as well. Very quickly in the last five minutes, four things that Paul says about suffering as a Christian and then suffering as a Christian leader. The first in verse 3 is that Paul says, I know that I need to walk the talk. I put no stumbling block in anyone's way so that they can't discredit my ministry. I can't say one thing and do another. There cannot be a credibility gap in who I am as a Christian and how I respond to life around me. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. The Apostle Paul did. Even Jesus did in Gethsemane. So if Jesus doubted, it's okay for us to doubt. Again, in some churches, that's not a popular thing to say, but it's okay to have questions and it's okay to doubt. But Paul knew that there could not be a credibility gap, that he couldn't be a leader who said one thing and did another. Integrity, who you are when no one's looking, as C.S. Lewis described it, matters. When a church leader falls, through usually money, sex, or power, people, the press, jump on the bandwagon. I always remember Michael Maudsley, who used to be the rector here, looking at me one day when I'd been here two or three years and saying, Dave, if you and I have an affair, it would damage our marriages and our children, but P's and G's perhaps would never recover. I wasn't thinking of having an affair at that particular moment, mainly because Kathy would kill me. But I was struck by the fact that actually he said peace and G's may never recover because the damage to the integrity of P's and G's would be so great 
that yes, it would have effects for us personally, yes, it would have effects upon our family life and upon our kids, but the effect upon this place would be huge. Integrity and leadership matters. When integrity goes, when character fails, trust dissipates and credibility is gone. The second thing that Paul says in this passage, verse 4, is essentially never underestimate the power of simply turning up. The banner over this list of things that Paul says is in verse 4, where Paul says, with great endurance. And it's as though Paul is saying, what I'm about to say is under this banner that I've kept going and I've just turned up every single day. One of the books that I've been reading as part of my studies at the moment is a book called The Patient Ferment by Alan Crider. And he uh, quotes this from one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, who says, The outsiders looked at the Christians and saw them energetically feeding poor people, caring for boys and girls who lacked property and parents, and being attentive to aged slaves and prisoners. Christianity's truth was visible. It was embodied and enacted by its members. Never underestimate the power of simply turning up, of doing what God has called you to do day after 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 day. That consistency is incredibly powerful. Thirdly, Paul speaks in verse 4 about three sets of troubles. He uses three different Greek words for troubles, hardships, and distresses. The word troubles or afflictions is the Greek word thlipsis. It occurs 45 times in the New Testament, but occurs more in 2 Corinthians than anywhere else. It refers to the normal pressures and anxieties of life, illness, bereavement, or unemployment. The second Greek word for hardships, ananke, referred to things like torture or pain, in Paul's case, beatings, riot, and prison. And then the third, distresses, stenocria, has the sense of being cornered or perplexed. That, that sense of, uh, that Mike spoke about of, of being in a tight corner and of not knowing how to get out. And what Paul is doing is, is what Keller refers to as there are different types of suffering for different causes and reasons. And then Paul says... There's the fruit and the power of the Spirit, verses 8 and 10. And these five couplets that we haven't got time to go through now, he just speaks in an incredibly poetic way about the fact that he has been sorrowful. He has been gossiped about. He has been beaten. He has had nothing, and yet he's kept on going with great endurance. So the question for you and for me now is, how do we respond? When something difficult, when something tough happens to us or somebody that we know, what will our response be? Are we still willing to keep going with great endurance? Are we still willing to trust God that He is strong enough and willing and able enough to bring us through? Are we able have we got the courage at times to trust God even when we can't sense His presence? I would probably say, I haven't told Mike this, but he's probably, Mike has grown more during these last two years when God has seemed distant 
I wouldn't be at all surprised if Mike has grown more in his relationship with God than he did in that instant moment when he knew God's presence and power. Because there's this paradox around the whole subject of suffering that often it's at those times when God seems most remote that somehow we discover more of God's love and that somehow we learn things about ourselves that we would not have learned had we not gone through that particular pain or suffering. It doesn't mean that God causes the pain, but God is able to use the pain to bring about more of the fruit and the character of Jesus in our lives. Elsewhere, as we'll look at in a couple of weeks, God's strength, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is made perfect in our weakness. If you're able, would you please stand? I'm going to ask Stuart and the band to, to come up. And over the next few minutes, uh, again, we can't do prayer ministry still. Um, it's a few weeks off yet. But this is for a time for us to think, well, if that was to happen to me, or it may be happening to you at the moment, maybe you were in that place where, where Mike is and the ha has come in in your relationship with God. How are you responding? What are you doing as far as you're able, to move towards God? How are you opening yourself up to receive from Him? One of the things that was really helpful for me was that I got in contact with Duncan Hughes and he put me in contact with a spiritual director over in Glasgow. And I just needed 45 minutes with this person, but it was really helpful. So you may have to do something, but one of the first things that we may have to do is simply surrender and say, God, I'm stumped. I don't know anymore. It's over to you. Let's pray together. Father, we're aware that for many of us, either now or in the past or probably in the future, we will be faced with tough times. We will be faced with situations where we feel cornered or desperate and we don't know what to do, and we don't know what to say. That things just seem too much for us, and we're overwhelmed. And whether it's some, something in the past, or whether it's how we're feeling this morning, or whether it's something in the future, we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would be our comforter, our encourager. That maybe we might experience that, that moment that Mike had 11 years ago, where you graciously and lovingly just came and reassured him of your presence and your peace in that hospital ward. And yet, Lord, we recognize too that we don't live on the mountaintop all the time. The part of being human is that the bad things do happen to good people and also people like us. So we're asking, Father, for your spirit to give us the strength and to give us the courage simply to put our foot down and for the next step and to take the next step and to take the next step and to put one foot in front of the other. That being a Christian is actually about being a pedestrian. It's simply learning to walk in your steps and to follow you even when it seems hard. So as we continue to respond and sing these songs and maybe 
over the next few days and weeks, ask somebody for help or ask somebody to pray with us or for us, then Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us, we ask. In Jesus' name.